you about preparing to parent and share the uh, awesome opportunity that we've got right now in Northwest Arkansas to be the exclusive church that will be offering these parenting classes for the community and the opportunity for some of you to mentor in that program and to be part of something uh, that will really impact a lot of families uh, there's, there's families who are told they can't get their children back if they've had them taken away for different legal reasons until they go through this active parenting course. And it's really hard to get into. It's, uh, it's not uh, made easily available in our area. But our church is going to be able to offer that course on a regular basis starting this summer. And so it's an immense opportunity, an awesome opportunity. And John kind of kicked that off last week by talking about preparing to parent. Uh, whether it's serving in the role of uh, that mentor uh, opportunity or whether it's in your own homes, uh, whether it's something that may be still out in your future, it hasn't come yet, that it takes some preparation. And so today, we're going to talk about preparing to influence. So everybody say with me this word, wow. Wow. Okay, say it again, wow. All right, say it like you're really amazed. Ready? Wow. Wow. Yeah, wow. This is... Wow is an important word of influence. Wow is a word that moms, in particular, are really good at. They're known for being good at, at wow. And so this lesson seems to fit well uh, on Mother's Day. And, and I owe a lot of uh, what I've learned in this lesson from other preachers, and uh, specifically uh, from a session that I got to hear with Andy Stanley at a conference I was at a few years ago. And he talked about the power of the word Wow. And wow is, is a word that can change destinies. It can change outcomes in people's lives. Because like moms know so well, there is a moment of opportunity when someone shares with you their idea. There's a moment of opportunity when someone, even if they're a small someone, shares with you their art or their idea, the big thing they've been working on. Because when people pour themselves into something they're working on, and then they open up and they want to show it to you, they're going to give you a chance to be the first person to respond to what they've been working on and pouring their life into. They're watching to see how you will react. What will you say about this thing that comes from my very heart? And so... There were times, I'm sure, in your life as in mine, when you, as a young person, drew something and it was not up to par of like Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art. Or maybe in the modern art section, it would have been, right? But like it's your crayon drawing and you made, and it's like, to you it's so clearly, this is our house, daddy, mommy, both of the siblings, and the puppy. And what does it look like to dad, Right? storm cloud he goes that's a beautiful thunderhead and you go no there's mommy right but what does mom say when she sees these lines scrawled across the page she goes wow wow that is beautiful i can tell and she leans into the child and she says i can tell you put so much time into that didn't you and the child's eyes brighten yeah i did you know like i worked really hard on this mom says wow you know what we're gonna move some of this other stuff off the fridge the appointment calendar that'll move to the to the countertop and we're gonna move dad's softball schedule off to the side here we're gonna clear a space we're gonna put that right in the middle where everybody can see and she takes the magnet she sticks it on the fridge she says, wow thank you a moment of opportunity when something from the heart something that's been you know poured into 
is received not with, ugh, or not with, oh, no, 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 that's not how we draw people, honey, <laughs> but with wow. And this is, you could also say that this word wow, say it again with me, say wow, wow. You could say that the word wow is when, it's the word that's used when a person, like a mommy or whoever it might be, like you or I, when we have a sense of imagination, when we have embraced a sense of imagination and the ability not just to look at what the idea is, but to think about what could this person become if they're willing to work so hard at an idea like this? What could it become if they're able to do this now, if I would encourage them with some imagination to keep going and to keep learning and to keep improving. And so we're going to turn today to a couple of stories from Scripture where Mary, the mother of Jesus, shows us this ability, this innate ability of parents, this innate ability of mothers to look into something and to refuse to start with criticism. She refuses to start with criticism, but will start with a sense of wonder, with a sense of imagination that says, what if the things said about this baby are true? What if they're true? And so I already read uh, for all of us this morning from Luke chapter 2, the story about the angels and the shepherds when it was revealed to the shepherds that this baby born in Bethlehem was to be the Christ, the Messiah, the promised one for Israel. And this is a huge message. And instead, for the shepherds, instead of saying, how could this be? This can't be. It, it doesn't line up with what we've been taught. It doesn't line up with what the, you know, the, the elders of the Jewish community have been saying. They don't say, how, 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 and kill the imagination. They say, wow, and they decide, let's go see for ourselves what's going on in this stable, in a manger, somewhere in Bethlehem. And so they go. And so I just want to remind you that this is the message they'd been given. This is what was told to them when they were in the field. The angel said, unto you is born this day, this day, in the city of David, a Savior who's Christ the Lord. That was the message that they were told. He's born today, a Savior who's Christ the Lord. And then, again, we already read this, but just to make sure it's fresh in your mind, when they get to the place where Jesus was laying in the manger, this is what happened. It said, uh, when they saw the baby, when they saw him, verse 17, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. So they make it known that what was told to us in the field is today a Savior is born to you. And he'll be Christ. He'll be the Messiah and the Lord of the people of Israel. They come into the manger, they see the baby, and they make known the saying that had been told to them. So they tell everyone there. And we assume that present are, you know, Mary and Joseph, and maybe there's some others. Maybe the kings from the east have already arrived. You know, I don't know. But there's some people around, probably at least the parents, and they say, this is what was told to us. And that, in that setting... In a manger, with animals around, uh, no room left in the city, and, and she's told he's going to be Christ, he's going to be Messiah of all of Israel. That's when this moment happens. Oh, sorry, this moment happens. When Mary, it says, Mary kept all these things in her heart and thought about them often. Okay, Mary, with a sense of wonder, refuses to say this can't be. This isn't 
right. This, how could this be? Instead, she says, wow, I'm going to store this in my heart. I'm going to remember that this was said, and let's see what comes of it. Let's see what comes of this saying. And for all of us this morning, this is the bottom line of the message, and I'm giving it to you at the beginning, but this is your takeaway, and you can write it in your bulletin right now. There's blanks for you to write this in, but this is the important thing for us to walk away from here this morning with, is this thought that you and I, your greatest contribution to the kingdom of God might not be something you do, but someone you influence. Your greatest contribution, break this down and think about it, your greatest single contribution, and there's all kinds of things that you and I can do for the kingdom of God, but your greatest contribution might not be something you do. You and I have lots of capacity inside of us to serve, to love, to teach, but the greatest thing that God allows you to do with his spirit in you might be that you influence somebody whose little crayon drawing now is just a signpost of great, beautiful creations coming later. The greatest thing that God does through you that contributes to the kingdom are these moments, perhaps, when you have the opportunity. Someone else has poured out their heart, poured out their ideas, poured out this thing they've been creatively working on. And they might be a small child or a medium child or a grown man and woman. And they pour out this thing that's been on their mind and their heart. And they say, I've been really working on this idea. I think this, the church would benefit if we did this. I think this ministry would be a huge blessing. It might be on your team at work. You might be in the professional setting and your team is used to receiving all kinds of ideas and there's someone on your team that every time they get the idea, they get the new idea, how do they start? They don't start with wow, they start with how and they say, how could we do that? Or they do this, they say, we've tried it before, been there, tried it, it doesn't work and they receive it with criticism instead of with imagination. And you have an opportunity in your team at work to be the person who says, well, what if? What if they're on to something? What if we tried it? What if this is the breakthrough idea? What if? And so when it comes to the kingdom of God, this is also true. That the greatest contribution you make might be the person you influence. It might be the child you're raising. Or it might be the student who's in the junior high class or who's in the high school class over here in the youth center. Or it might be the young adult who's uh, here for the summer internship at Walmart. Or it might be the young adult who's in their first job or their first career. And our response to them might be, yeah, but we've been doing this for 10 years. We've been doing this for 20 years. You know, we've been doing this for 40 years, whatever. We've been, we've been, we've been. And they have this idea and you have a moment in which you might be able to influence them and unleash the imagination that they've brought. And so this is the challenge for us today. And so Mary shows us this. She keeps these things in her heart. Now, I want to read to you a little bit more, and we're going to get to verse 33 here in just a minute, and I want you to listen, cue in as I read to you verses 25 through 32. So I'm going to read to you 25 through 32. In fact, I should take that off there so you're not reading ahead. So here's still from Luke chapter 2, a few more amazing moments. 
a few more incidents in which they're being given a clue about what Jesus might become, about his potential. And so starting in verse 25, we read this. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. Now they'd taken the baby Jesus up to Jerusalem. As the law said, on the eighth day he needed to be circumcised at the temple. So they took the baby up to Jerusalem, and there's a man named Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to Simeon by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. So he'd been given this prophecy, you'll see the Messiah before you die. And he came in the Holy Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the baby Jesus, they brought in the child Jesus, to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms. There's this, there's this moment almost like the Lion King. He takes him up in his arms, right? Baby Jesus. Does anybody remember that opening scene from the Lion King? Rafiki takes Simba and he holds him up in front of all of the animals in the kingdom. And there's this moment where, uh, if you've ever seen the movie or the musical or whatever, you think, wow, this is a moment of great promise, of great hope. There's so much potential for that baby lion, right? And, and here he holds up Jesus and he says these words with Mary and Joseph listening, Lord, Simeon prayed, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. That's the way his prayer starts. Now I can die. Because I've seen Jesus. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation that you've prepared in the presence of all peoples. A light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. What a magnificent promise about Jesus. And all of this potential that he says he's going to be a light to the world, to the Gentiles, and glory for Israel. And his father and his mother, and this is where we get to verse 33, Jesus's parents were amazed at what was being said about him. There's a moment of wonder again when they hear all the things that he's capable of. They see it now, even though he's only in this baby form, that there's potential. Jesus' parents were amazed. And then Simeon blessed them, and he said to Mary, the baby's mother, do you notice what Simeon just did? He said the first blessing in front of all the people, everyone who's listening. But then he says, turning aside to Mary, to the one who's going to spend the most days with him in his childhood, raising him day in and day out when he brings his little creations, when he brings his stick figures, when he brings his little drawings, when he brings his little projects to the person who's going to be with him day in and day out. He says, this child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall, but he will be a joy to many others. And then he says this, if you're reading in your Bible, I want you to mark this or circle it or highlight it or underline it or whatever. He has been sent as a sign from God. And I want you to mark the word sign. He's been sent as a sign. This is a, this is a marker in the ground that points to another reality, that points that something even better is coming, that someday God will live in fellowship with his people and dwell in their hearts. Now, Simeon doesn't say all of that, but we know those are the promised things that are coming, that God is going to live inside you and me because of what Jesus did. And Jesus himself on earth was a sign of what's to come. He's the crayon drawing of, of what will lead to magnificent you know, vistas later in his career. 
He's a sign from God, but many will oppose him. And as a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul, Mary. He says to the mother, you will suffer the most at his suffering. You'll suffer the most at the things that he loses. But look at what will happen as a result. The deepest hearts, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Jesus is going to do something so much more grand. He's going to cause hearts to be opened. And he is the living sword, right? The word who will pierce and divide joints and marrow and let it be seen what is inside. Let, let it be seen what's in the heart. This is what he's destined for. Now let me read a few more verses, uh, 41 through 47, to you. This is later, about 12 years later. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to the custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it. But supposing to be him in their group, they went a day's journey, which incidentally would have been about 20 miles of walking. So they walk about 20 miles without their 12-year-old boy, assuming he's somewhere with the cousins or, or whatever. Imagine the panic, moms, right? So they go a day's journey, but then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. And after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them, and asking them questions. When all of this happens, it says they were amazed at what they heard. Again, they're caught up in the sense of wonder that Jesus would be in the temple instead of in the party, instead of with the group. And his parents, even though they're amazed, it says they didn't know what to think. Can you imagine that moment, moms or dads or, or grandparents? The moment in which you see inside your child or your grandchild this passion for God that is so amazing and pure that it leaves you like them in verse 48. His parents didn't know what to think. And yet at the same time, you're caught up in frustration that he left the party and then he gave you all of this worry and all of this fear and all this concern and you're torn because you see so much potential in them. And yet it seems like they're not quite fitting in. And you don't know what to think. And this is what Mary says to him, son. His mother said to him, son, why have you done this to us? See, this is a moment when she's like almost teetering on this cusp of will she criticize his passion for God? But instead she asks, why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic searching for you everywhere and Jesus said, but why did you need to search? Didn't you know I must be in my father's house? And look at this in verse 50. They didn't understand what he said. They could not understand at 12 years old how he was beginning to fulfill those prophecies given early on and how he was working towards the life of ministry that was going to reveal hearts and change the world. They couldn't completely understand it yet. But again, Mary just like she did before. He returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them, and his mother stored all these things in her heart. She again, just like in verse 19, she chooses to ponder it instead of disregard it. Instead of throwing it out, she saves it, and she thinks, what if this is a sign of something more? What if this boy that we're influencing is really meant to be everything that that crazy old man, Simeon, said about him 12 years ago? In a book called Focus. This businessman named Al Reese wrote this statement. He said, the next generation 
product or idea, again, this is a business focus, the next generation product or idea almost never comes from the previous generation. What was Reese saying to business owners? Reese was saying, if you want to innovate, if you want to imagine what could come next, make sure there are some young, creative, thinking people who are willing to sketch out a drawing that looks so bad right now. You've done it for 40 years. You know it won't work. And yet you take it and you put it on the refrigerator and you put the magnet on it and you step back and you say, wow, maybe there's something there. Because innovation whether it's in business or whether it's in church, whether it's your greatest contribution to work or to the kingdom of God, means you have to pair both wisdom and wonder. You have to pair both wisdom and wonder. And so Reese says most of the next generation ideas come from the next generation not the previous generation. Look at how Mary proves that she gets it in John chapter two. And this is where we'll finish today. This is where it all comes together, where Mary's been putting things in her heart and now she realizes a moment in which maybe, maybe all the things said about him before haven't come to fruition, but now is an opportunity. Those things that were said might turn into something real and useful in the kingdom of God. There's a wedding feast it says the next day there was a wedding celebration in the village of Cana in Galilee. And I want you to notice who was invited. It says Jesus' mother was there. And Jesus and his disciples were also invited to the celebration. You see, his mother is the guest who was invited. And Jesus and the disciples are invited also kind of like along with her. But she is a guest and she must feel a little bit of pressure about this wedding. And she's held in her mind all these things about Jesus because when this critical moment occurs, she knows exactly what to do. The wine supply ran out during the festivities. Uh-oh. And so Jesus' mother told him, Jesus, they have no more wine. And Jesus wasn't raised in the church of Christ. And so he says, dear woman, that's not our problem. But he's like, you know, mom, this isn't. And, and then he says, my time's not yet come. You know, I'm not even supposed to reveal myself yet, everything that I'm going to do and, and that's going to happen. But Jesus' mother does this. It says his mother told the servant, so she steps aside, do whatever he tells you. I've seen his crayon drawings, and I know he has great potential. There's something better coming. Do whatever he tells you. And standing nearby were six stone water jars used for Jewish ceremonial washing. Each could hold 20 to 30 gallons, which is a lot of wine. And Jesus told the servants, fill the jars with water. And if you've grown up in church, you're kind of familiar with this miracle. You know what happens. When the jars have been filled, he said, dip some out, take it to the master of the ceremonies. And so the servants followed the instructions. And when the master of the ceremonies tasted the water that was now wine, Jesus' first miracle, his first sign in front of people in public, not knowing where it had come from, though of course the servants knew, he called the bridegroom over and he says this. He said, the host always serves the best first. 
They always start with the very tasty wine, and then once everybody's minds and imaginations are dulled and their sense of taste is dulled, then they just give them the cheap stuff, right? When they've had a lot to drink, they bring out the least expensive wine. But you've kept the best until now. You've kept a masterpiece, a master vintage for right now, something that we haven't even tasted in this entire celebration so far. And this, of course, has a lot of spiritual applications. So you need to think about some of the spiritual applications that all the things you've ever tasted will taste like trash when you've tasted what Jesus offers. Amen, church? Amen. It's the very best. And it says in verse 11, this miraculous sign. He's meant to be a sign. This miraculous sign at Cana in Galilee was the first time Jesus revealed his glory and his disciples believed in him. This moment when his mom remembers, wow, all the things that have been said and all the potential that he's shown right now at this party where I'm a guest, there's an opportunity for him to put on display what has been happening inside of him, what happened at his baptism when the Spirit came on him, right? All of the things that God has been saying throughout his life from before his birth and at his birth and when he was 12 and when he was baptized, all the things that were said, I'm going to give him an opportunity to show it, to put it on display. And she imagines that something good will come of it, and it does. It says this is the first sign, and it's also the moment that his disciples placed their faith in him. They believed because of the action taken by a mother who believed in her child. Amen, church? Amen. And so the challenge for you and for me is to imagine this way. To imagine the same way, whether you're a mom or a dad or whether you work in the corporate world or whether you're still a student in school or whether you work in some other employment, no matter what it is that you do, there's an opportunity for you to influence somebody else for the kingdom of God. When you receive their ideas, you hear the things someone else says about them and you say, wow, let's explore the potential instead of shutting it down with endless questions about how. And this might be true in your own heart of faith too. You've said so many times, I just don't think God can do anything else inside of me. How could he work with me? How could he change me a sinner? And it's time for you to put on the imagination of Mary, the mother of the Son of God, and believe just for a moment this morning that God has yet more to do through you too. Amen, church. Amen. And in that imagination, there's an opportunity for you to respond to God in your heart or with us this morning, which we'd love to receive and to pray with you. We'll have shepherds both at the front of the auditorium and at the back to meet you and to pray. If God is working on your imagination this morning about what yet is in store for you or your family spiritually or your children or the people you're influencing and you want to talk about how you can do it or talk about how you can help them, share it with us as we stand and sing this song of invitation. Just 